Welcome to the Canadian Real Estate Investor, where hosts Daniel Foch and Nick Hill navigate the market and provide the tools and insights to build your real estate portfolio. Welcome back to another episode of the Canadian Real Estate Investor Podcast. We are growing right now and we wanted to take a second to say a few things. And the first is a big thank you to everyone who's been listening and supporting the show thus far. It means so much to us. And we're going to ask a quick favor. If you haven't already, go rate us five stars, write us a review, reach out to us through email or DM and go share this show with a friend. I know that when I was in my early investing days, podcasts and books and any kind of free information was just amazing. And we are on a mission to educate and grow a community of amazing real estate investors entrepreneurs, and real estate professionals across the country. Now, enough of that, Dan. What are we talking about today? Today, we're going to talk about bonds, specifically what is a bond, why they're important, and how they affect mortgages and the real estate market. The name's bond, government bond. Exactly. You get it. I see what you did there, though. Very funny, Nick. Not uh, not to be confused <laughs> with the legendary suave British spy, Mr. Bond, James Bond himself, government bond plays a huge role in the economy. And you're sitting there trying to tell me that James Bond didn't play a role in the economy? I mean, I guess he did by, you know, like preventing terrorism and save the world a couple of times. But let's just say they are very different. James Bond was a lot more exciting, but also fictional government bonds aren't usually very exciting. They don't drive an Aston Martin, but they are very real. <laughs> and you've probably been hearing more about bonds than ever before. Most Canadians, even those who love real estate and are into real estate investing, likely weren't particularly concerned about bonds or bond yields for the last several years because there wasn't really a big need to be paying attention to them. But since we have been subjected to one of the fastest raking rate hiking cycles in history, we are now realizing the harsh effects of those interest rates and how wide and deep they can be felt in every aspect of the economy. So bonds, actually, before we continue, what's your favorite James Bond car, by the way? I got to say the old Aston Martin DB5. Interesting. Sean Connery, Fair. Aston Martin DB5. That just doesn't get more classic than that. Fair. So in No Time to Die, he drives this Toyota 2000 GT. Yes, you know, that, you know, that's my whole, favorite Bond car. Here's a, here's a fun fact about that because I love James Bond and I love cars. That Toyota didn't like, only came in a hard top. So they had to cut the top off of that Toyota uh, because Sean Connery was too tall and too big to fit inside of it. Absolutely love to see it. So wait, are we just doing James Bonds or are we going this back should to become a car show? <laughs> so bonds are a type of investment product that is less volatile than other investments such as stocks, real estate, or the beloved crypto. Mm. Yeah. They are historically the most stable and risk averse investment category. And bonds have been around for quite a while, quite a while. The uh, recorded history of debt instruments such as bonds date back to 2400 BC. So a couple of years ago, and that's via some clay tablets discovered in Nippur, which is now present day Iraq. This artifact cites a guarantee for the payment of grain and included the consequences if the debt was not repaid. 
Now, fast forward a few thousand years and the first ever sovereign bond was issued in 1693 by the newly formed Bank of England, which is the world's oldest central bank. The USA also issued its first sovereign treasury bond to finance the American Revolutionary War. So this is an excerpt from The Day the King Defaulted, Financial Lessons from the Stop of Exchequer in 1672. I like how it's spelled like Exchequer, like he used to write checks, but he's <laughs> no longer a writer of checks. That's how it's spelled in case anybody wants to look it up. In late 1671, King Charles II of England was preparing to wage war against the Dutch, who were the financial and commercial center of continental Europe. Biggest building in the world actually is in the Netherlands. It's that flower terminal. Anyway, probably didn't exist back then. The sentiment in England, actually first ri- first bubble ever was in tulips as well, tulipania. Yep. So sentiment in England was that the Dutch were getting the better of the English in international trade deals and they thought a war <laughs> would help resolve this. The problem was that England was short on money and King Charles too didn't have the funds required to outfit and provision his navy to go to war. I love how you say King Charles II and not King Charles II, but... (laughs) It's too long. (laughs) Then in the fall of 1671, the king called in the major goldsmith bankers of the day and asked them for a very big loan to outfit a fleet of 60 ships. But these influential and wealthy bankers flat out refused to give him a single shilling. Strutting their financial muscles, they claimed that they had already extended the king enough credit via the collateralized treasury orders, CTOs, another early debt piece there, which they held. And and we were giving all of these bankers in the big short credit for coming out with collateralized debt insurance, whatever it was, CDOs, right? Yeah, this goes way back. This goes way back. Again, which can be described as one of the earliest forms of a long-term government bond. And honestly, Dan, it seems like in this little history lesson we're, we're giving here, most and, and the, through the research I did, most of these early bonds were used for funding wars. I mean, they could even be doing that today. Who knows? Mm. The first ever sovereign bond was issued in 1693 by the newly formed Bank of England, which is, I, I'm assuming, the same one that's out there ripping today. This bond was used to fund conflict with France. Other European governments followed suit. Then the USA first issued their treasury bonds to finance the American Revolutionary War. Sovereign debt was again used to finance its World War I efforts and issued in 1917, shortly after the US declared war on Germany. But what about here in Canada? This excerpt was taken from a paper that we found uh, in the archives of the Bank of Canada titled, the evolution of the government of Canada's debt distribution framework. So before World War One or World War the First, <laughs> there we go. That's I'm pretty sure that's how you say it. Uh, no formal debt distribution framework existed. The domestic capital market. It's funny. I'm like reading that line and I'm like, oh, then it existed. There's like this. Uh, I don't know. It's like a meme. It's like oh, like at the beginning, the like the universe existed. Some people feel this was a really bad idea or something like that. It's like. <laughs> This could be one of those moments as well. Anyway, no framework existed. The domestic capital market was almost non-existent. There were no organized secondary markets and the government's financial requirements were modest. Not like today, not so modest. Mm. The, yeah, we got private jets, all that kind of stuff. So consultants, many consultants that tell you to stop hiring consultants. 
The government nevertheless began selling domestic debt just after Confederation in January 1868. So again, not bonds as we know them today, but an early form. So this leads to a good question. What is a bond? So when a government and companies can do this too, but let's, we're focusing on governments today. So when a government needs to raise funds, they can issue bonds. Investors who then purchase these bonds are essentially lending money to that bond issuer, aka the government. In return, the bond issuer will pay back the loan plus interest. So simply put, think of the bond as an IOU. So investors like them because they're fairly low risk and offer a fixed rate of return. Generally, short-term bonds play a low, uh, pay a lower interest rate than long-term bonds. Interest rates can also affect bond returns. In a low interest rate environment, they will pay lower interest rates, although investing in bonds may only yield low returns. There's very little chance that you'll lose money because the person paying you the interest rate on them is the government. Mm-hmm. This isn't, uh, you know... The, the, the next crypto startup here with uh, with high risk, high return. And you can go and, and purchase bonds if you're interested through a lot of the traditional channels, through a broker, your own brokerage account, a bank, and a credit union. So let's look at a few of the most common types of bonds. And I pulled this list from our friends at uh, nerdwallet.ca. So Dan, start me off with some of the, um, one of the most common types of bonds here. Yeah. So the the first one is Government of Canada bonds. They, these are bonds that are the highest quality since they're backed by the federal government. You'd sure hope so. Then I guess a tier down, a governmental tier down from there, we've got provincial bonds, although the credit rating of a provincial bond is typically not as high as a government bond and a federal bond of Canada, their yields are usually higher. There's municipal bonds. So basically a municipal government can also issue bonds. They have a higher higher or lower yields than provincial bonds of similar quality due to their liquidity uh, and other specific issues. Then we see investment grade corporate bonds. These are corporate issued bonds with a rating triple B or higher are considered investment grade. Corporate bonds are riskier than government bonds, but often still produce high returns and are still considered fairly safe. And then you have the high yield bonds, which are rating below triple B minus, and they're non-investment grade and often referred to as junk bonds. While the high yield can be attractive, you have a much greater chance of losses than you would with you know, a higher quality government bond. I think it's probably also worth mentioning Canada mortgage bonds here, CMBs, which are securities issued by the CMHC. We all know what CMHC does. And they basically fund the mortgage market by allowing financial institutions access to capital. And so what happens is when CMHC insures a mortgage, they actually basically take that mortgage off of the bank's books and buy it and then sell it into Canada mortgage bonds or package it and sell it into Canada mortgage bonds. And and they actually do that with the other insurers as well. So it's not like the other insurers are also buying these books, like they're just actually insuring it and then it still goes into the CMB program. And so I mean, CMHC is actually a great example. Like when you hear about MLI Select and the pricing of MLI Select debt, you'll hear CMB plus fifty bips is typically, I think, what they're where like they're advising that 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 money will be priced. So it's a Canada mortgage bond yield rate, and and when you get an MLI Select loan, you don't have your interest rate until like what a week or two before the deal closes. I think mm-hmm. right? which which typically can take lock in. months to 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 close. Yeah. Right? so you don't yeah. know. And that's the one thing. It's hard to run those numbers at your rate because you don't know what rate you're getting for for several months. 
Yeah, and so so the the CMBs basically establish the pricing of those so the CMH, the MLI select capital. And so when you hear that the federal government recently they call it unlocked um, twenty billion more of financing, they did it through that CMHC CMB program, and they actually and they and they unlocked that capital by issuing more of these CMBs or increasing the amount of CMBs that are available to be issued in order to basically, it's a way of raising capital. Like get, mm-hmm. now they now investors can go and buy that. And now that's $20 billion worth of money to that go into funding MLI select uh, mortgages. Before, and I'll, I'll add this in after you go through your pros and cons list here, but before that took place, I'm going to pull the article because I have it in some other area of our show notes here, but there was a, I think it was L Bank, but they they were starting to issue these securities and Canadian funds because there was actually discussion that Canada was going to can the the CMB program and or roll it into an, another government bond program, and basically foreign banks kind of started to call, I, I guess, kind of like tire kick on that a bit. Anyway, talk to me about the pros and cons here. Yeah, let's have a quick chat about that. I before we move on though, I just want to say that you know, I love that uh the high yield bonds are also referred to as junk bonds. <laughs> it's not the most flattering name. Let's look at some of the pros of buying, let's say a government of Canada bond or even a provincial bond or or a CMB. Some of the major pros are it's low risk, right? It's less likely you're going to lose money when you're investing in the government compared to investing in something like a stock that could decrease in value or even crypto, especially, or, or even real estate assets. And they're fixed income. So bonds pay regular interest and they can pay investors a steady income. Now, Dan, they're not all good. So tell me about some of the cons of owning bonds. Yeah, lower interest rates. So they're safe. This is basically like when you hear risk-free rate, and this is why it's kind of important to know, like that would be kind of your risk-free rate. It's similar to a GIC, right? So there's very little risk that you're going to lose the investment. So if it's risk-free, that means there's 100% no risk or like as close as you can get to 100% risk-free that you're going to lose the money, right? So you get a trade-off. It's a low risk, low return investment. And so in that in that being low, you know, when we talk on the show about interest rates being positive or negative, real interest rates being positive or negative against inflation, you know, if you're the rate that you're getting, like if you're getting 4% on a bond and inflation's 4.5%, then your real return is you're actually, your money is actually being inflated away because your return is not keeping up with it. So they may not keep up with inflation depending on the current interest rate environment. Yeah, no, great, great, great point. And, and obviously in, in an inflationary environment today, we're, we're likely experiencing a little bit of that. Now, each bond has something called a bond yield. Dan, tell me a bit about what a bond yield is. I mean, it's basically the the annual return. So it's literally just. And actually, this is a good good time to introduce the word coupon because when in real estate investing, when you're bringing on a partner, in a lot of cases, you can pay. You would hear the word coupon. That's your annual yield. So, like, if you bring on an investor, maybe you have to pay them an X percent, you know, a two to five percent coupon rate or one percent coupon rate. So an annual rate plus a percentage of whatever you pay them out at the end. So that's what the word so they, and it's like you hear the term clipping coupons that's basically what it is you know not to be confused with you know saving money on shampoo at the grocery store but uh <laughs> extreme couponing man yeah you can't uh, i guess bond yields like, don't have extreme costco coupon. pays you money <laughs> oh that's good Different thanks coupons, thanks for the yeah. thanks for the dan finition there i've good always stuff. wanted to take on like give just try extreme couponing once <laughs> anyway, maybe i will uh, 
Yeah, well, keep keep us posted. So, I think you have to be like really good at it to know. You got like there's like some serious math involved. Yeah, there, there. There's anyway. probably an extreme coupon or listening to the show being like this idiot thinks he can just go and yeah, yeah. take this in I've here. I've been training for ten years. Yeah. <laughs> there, it's true though. I mean, this is like there's it's the same thing with like uh, credit card churning in Canada. Like people like cre- yeah. all the different rewards and stuff. Man, like that's I always fascinated me. Oh, there's a couple of like really cool personal finance influencers on like uh, Instagram and stuff that like talk about this. It's like crazy. The, the, mm-hmm. the guy's like, yeah, I haven't paid for a flight in, since I was born. Like, like <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> anyway, it's calculated as a simple number. So it's basically X percent a year, or you'll often hear more complex terms like uh, yield to maturity. Uh, simply put, it's the total annual income you earn from the bond coupon payment. So it's a percentage of the price of the bond. So if you have a $1,000 bond that pays $50 per year, the yield is 5%. Okay. Sounds pretty simple, but let's do a bit of a deeper dive into bond yields. So again, going back to the government, the government of Canada, just like any other government, guess what? They spend a lot of money to keep our countries going infrastructure, healthcare, old age, old age security, family benefits, disability payments, unemployment benefits. These are just some of the things that the government needs money for. So in order to keep up with all of this spending and hey, throw a pandemic in there and all that stuff goes crazy, uh, the governments need to issue and sell these bonds to investors. This means that anytime an investor purchases a bond from the government, they are loaning that government money. So when the bond prices are low, bond issuers still need to sell the bond at a competitive price, I think. And so so you can actually loan the government money. Bonds are considered one of the safest investments because the Canadian government backs them. So it's it's kind of like you're, I mean, who else? I guess we're not funding wars anymore, but you're also not investing in a startup company that could go belly up. And I think that there are like, I guess, different ratings that come with, I think like the rating agencies actually do rate different governments differently. I think didn't Canada's rating change, or was that the U.S.? That was the U.S., right? Because yeah. we're looking at like like the Moody's of the world, which which essentially rate government bonds. It's either a triple A or or double A, double A plus, etc. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, it's literally the government. So and take that like a lot of people don't like the government, so maybe they'll think, oh, I don't want to lend them money. But anyway, you can you can literally lend <laughs> yeah. the government money. So governments tend to spend a lot of money, particularly during times of financial insecurity. Sounds familiar, right? So we're literally living through this right now in real time, and and this is where the, because they're paying money on these bonds, this is their cost of capital. Like they they have spent a lot of money, they have a big deficit, they owe a lot of money and they're and now the rate that they have to pay to borrow that money is getting worse and worse is where you hear about like the debt ceiling in the US and blah blah blah. So by yeah, spending it's essentially a negative feedback loop at that point, right? I mean, interest rates go up, bonds go up and now it's more expensive for the government to borrow that same money. Hence, the debt ceiling is just the tallest building in the world. And and I guess going back to the skyscraper curse episode, you know, there's there's a joke to be had there. Yeah, for sure. So, um, yeah. So by spending all this money, they need to issue lots and lots of bonds. And, and banks also issue bonds. They lend out money in the form of mortgages and they lump that debt into securitized note and notes and then sell them off. Similar to what we were saying CMHC does as well, right? Yeah, um, exactly. Actually, sorry, before you jump back to pricing, I want to chat a little bit about this uh, L-Bank thing because this is an article from August of this year. It says, Germany's L-Bank tapped loony bond investors as Ottawa Mall's canceling the mortgage bond program. So they sold 300 million of AAA rated bonds in their first widely marketed Canadian dollar deal. This is 
a state-owned German bank who is potentially encouraging other top-rated issuers to follow suit as Justin, as Prime, Min- Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's government mulls canceling the mortgage bond program. So they sold $300 million in Canadian dollars, which is, I don't know, it's just, just an interesting thing. And he said, I've received questions from other issuers and they're now also monitoring the, the market. We'll try over time to become a more regular issuer in Canadian dollars. So it seems like there's, oh, it says they they decided to go ahead with the transaction after investors said they wanted to see more highly rated international issuers in the so-called maple bond market, given the <laughs> uncertain future of Canada's $260 billion mortgage bond program. So I would imagine there's probably a lot of Canadian dollars floating around there, around from pension funds, et cetera, et cetera. And they don't have places to put that currency. And then and because of that, there it was there was an issue, or there was a fear that the CMB program was going to be collapsed. They basically tried to fill this this hole. So it says Canada mortgage bonds um, are priced with extra yield over federal government debt, even though they are guaranteed by Ottawa and rated AAA. Trudeau's government is deciding whether to wind down that operation by merging it into its main borrowing program in an effort to reduce costs. But the proposal went under fire from market participants who argued that it might, might have unintended consequences. They warned that the money would otherwise flow, that, that would otherwise flow into CMBs might go elsewhere rather than into Canadian government debt, driving up yields for government and corporate borrowers. And then the the finance department did a consultation of the plan, and I guess it ultimately resulted in them actually issuing more through that MLI Select program. Yeah, really, really interesting. I, I love the fact that, uh, you know, international, they call it the maple market. I mean, you know, if it's, it's maple leafs, syrup, hockey, igloos, I guess that's, that's the main stuff we're known for. The price of the bond is what it's worth in the moment. If the price of bonds are low, it's because fewer buyers are buying more bonds. The actual sale of the bond isn't a one for one trade based off the face value of what it's worth. To make the bond more appealing to sell, investors take different market factors to into account to derive a price that matches the value of the bond by the time it matures in that five-year period. That's why you hear so much about the five-year bond yield. And of course, that's adjusting for inflation and interest rates. So that's what a bond yield is. So when bond prices are low, bond issuers still need to sell the bond at a competitive price. So they'll set a higher interest rate on these bonds, thereby increasing the yield. Now, the main thing to remember is that the bond creates value over its lifetime until it matures. And if that yield measures how much value it's creating. So why do bond yields matter, Dan? Yeah. And so, and the lifetime is the the term of it, right? So uh, five-year bond yields matter, especially because they're often a tool to measure the state of the economy, but also they're one of the primary pricing mechanisms for other risk-free products or other products of similar risk of the same duration, right? So five years is your duration. And you hear about like SVB, Silicon Valley Bank, having this like duration mis- mismatch. They're putting, they're taking money in from startups who need money, need fast access to capital. And they're giving money out in mortgages, which are f- longer products, right? Yeah. And the reason they got caught in the crosshairs is because those startups need that money went and tried to get that money back in, uh, in, you know, that bank run event, but there was no access to that capital because it was all tied up in long-term mortgages. Right. Yeah. So, and, and maturity can range from two to, to 30 years for government bonds. The five-year bond is especially important for Canadian homeowners because when we're holding a five-year fixed rate, which is the most common mortgage product in Canada, 
mortgage interest rates follow those five-year bond yields. So bond yields directly impact borrowing costs as yields. Well, we just saw this happen last week. So employment announcement, we're looking at the Canada five-year bond yield. It was at around 4% and then it dropped about 25 basis points to 3.75 range. And what happened this week? You saw a lot of your big six banks start reducing their five-year fixed mortgage rates by about 25 basis points, some even more than that. And so so bond yields direct directly impact borrowing costs as yields with comparable terms and determine fixed rate mortgages with the same term. So for example, three-year bond yields are, you know, establish those three-year fixed rates. So what do they actually have to do with mortgages here, Nick? Yeah. Now, most people are aware that variable rate mortgages follow the overnight interest rate that's determined and set by the Bank of Canada. The target for the overnight rate is an immediate snapshot of how the economy is doing. And that's based off of job job numbers and inflation and GDP. And Dan, we've talked about all of that stuff extensively in a whole bunch of other episodes. So if you want more information on that, just go back and listen to, honestly, just go back and listen to all the episodes. Now, crucially for Canadians, it represents how much interest is needed for banks to borrow from the Bank of Canada on the current rate of inflation. And from there, how much interest is needed for customers to borrow from the banks for the banks to go back and be able to balance their books every night. Again, that's known as the prime rate. The prime rate is the lending rate that's the annual interest rate that Canada's major banks and financial institutions use to set the interest rates that affect variable loans and lines of credit of course you know the main one affected being variable rate mortgages and we know fixed rates are obviously different than variable rates so variable rates fluctuate based on real time changes in the bank of canada the central bank's rate so your rate can change on a monthly basis depending on what's happening with that central bank rate in canada the overnight rate the bank of canada's overnight rate with fixed rate mortgages your lender gives you an interest rate that's the rate you pay for the rest of your term length the interest rates of a fixed rate mortgage are based on how much lenders how much risk lenders believe that the borrower will take but also Sorry, how much how much more risk the borrower how much more risky the borrower is than this bond, than the risk free bond. Mm-hmm. So as an example, like your bond yield is, you know, I guess your bond I think it's usually two plus two percent, right? It's GOC usually here GOC plus two percent is typically your risk premium in today's market. And they they believe that the bond and that's their posted rates, but and then also how much the bonds will be worth in the future. That's the yield. So and then they add in that risk premium and a little bit of an operational cost, obviously, as well, because it's, I would imagine, I don't know this, but I'm, I'm imagining it's probably not that cheap to run a bank. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's the cleaning, you got to pay the tellers, you know, you got to, you got to wash the money, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So basically that's the financial buffer that allows those banks to remain that profitable. And remember, I think we've made this joke before the banks are like the casinos, the house always wins. They will always do whatever they can to de-risk their books as much as they can. And if bond yields are higher, that means that bond yield, bond traders believe that interest rates will remain higher for longer, as an example, or as Carolyn Rogers from the Bank of Canada just said, perhaps, what did she say? It was like not higher for longer. It was higher forever. Was it higher forever? Higher for good. That's what it was. Yikes. Which is a, yeah, yeah, that was crazy. I don't even know if I really believe that because I feel like they're going to, like things are going to break and they're going to have to cut, but I feel like they're just trying to like, they're trying to avoid a pivot paradox here because if they like TIFF came out and told people that they might have to cut before inflation is in the neutral range. And if that, if people get all fired up and start spending like crazy again, then 
people behave this is the pivot paradox if the if the people think that the central bank is going to pivot then they start behaving as though the central bank is going to pivot spending money and that becomes inflationary anyway yeah i mean i, I feel like it's almost like uh you know the, the jim kramer effect right you know back a few years ago when tiff was like they will remain low and then everyone went crazy and now they're like they're gonna be high you know what i mean yeah just- no, i think they i think they really are trying to i think they need to talk in this hawkish tone to to keep the market chilled and keep Canadians chilled because uh, it sound like it seems like we'll just literally lever up as soon as they say rates are going to be low again. So anyway, if bond yields start declining, it's a good indication that interest rates may drop or that's the, at least the bond market trying to forecast what's going to happen with the trying rate Trying to price that in, yeah. That is what, when you hear the words pricing something in, that's kind of what's happening is show the bond market showing what they think is going to happen to rates. Yeah, exactly. So the Canada five-year bond yield is the basis for most long-term fixed mortgage rates. It's the key benchmark in Canada. This is important again, because as Dan mentioned, the five-year term is by far the most common term length for mortgages in Canada. And historically, outside of a few years where everyone loved the variable, the five-year fixed product is the most popular mortgage product in Canada. Now, mortgages have a risk premium added above bond yields to ensure that cost is moving and and that the banks are covered, right? Dan, you just mentioned this. This means that if the five-year government of Canada bond yield goes up by 100 bips, uh, 100 basis points, fixed mortgages may go up about two to 300 because of that securitization, that that buffer that the, the government and the bank are pricing in. Yeah, exactly. And so if you if you think about this, it's basically like your mortgage rate equals the bond yield plus that that risk premium. Yeah, exactly. Now the five years have a the same maturity as the five year fixed mortgages, right? Five year bonds, five year fixed mortgages. But in the case of mortgages, part of the principal is paid back every month. Well, for government bonds, the principal is only paid back at the maturity. Now, here's a great example from the people, the great people over at wawa.ca that just put out a ton of amazing information. So let's look at a five year fixed mortgage with an interest rate of 5% and an amortization of 25 years, right? That's about as standard mortgage as it gets in Canada. Five year fixed, 5% interest rate right now. That's, that's the half decent rate for right now and uh, 25 year AM. That means 11.3% of that mortgage loan will be paid back during the f- first five years. With a 20-year amortization, 16.3% will be paid back during the first five years. Well, that number increases to 25% with a 15-year amortization. At a lower interest rate of 2% with a 25-year amortization, 16.2% of the principal will be repaid within the first five years. Now, that's just fascinating, first of all, that just that piece right there, that first of all, at a 5% interest rate over a 25-year amortization schedule, a five-year fixed mortgage, you are only paying basically just over 10% of your mortgage off in the first five years. Now, again, we've done whole episodes on amortization and and how principal and interest and those those payments kind of switch after a certain point and showing how you know real estate really is a long-term play. Yeah. So this is how mortgage loans have an effective term shorter than their nominal term. So if you're given the two options, an investor can either invest in a five-year bond and receive a safe return, or they can invest in mortgages. Mortgages have additional risks in a couple of different ways. They have a default risk where the homeowner cannot afford to make the payments. And then there's a prepayment risk where a homeowner pays back the mortgage early, meaning that you you know would forego any future return. 
But the other piece is that they kind of, they're self-liquidating, right? Rather than you waiting till the end to have that liquidity event or the principal back, you gradually get it over time. Yeah. Great, great call, Dan. So mortgage rates, again, go and follow that bond yield, but there's a spread between them. The spread is, again, usually that one or 2%. This means that if the current five-year bond yield is 1%, then we can expect the five-year fixed closed mortgage rates to be around 2 to 3%. For example, on February the 1st of 2021, the benchmark five-year bond yield was 042 we can then expect mortgage rates to be between 1.4 and 2.4%, which they roughly were. Now, Dan, can you tell me a bit of, uh, we, we pulled some dates and some some mortgage rate ranges and some correlating five-year Canada bond yields? Yeah, so in January 2021, the bond yield was, I guess, 40 bips, 0.4, sorry, 0.4%. And mortgage rates were 1.4 to 3% range. In March 2022, the Canada bond yield had gone up to 1.6%. And this is when the Bank of Canada started hiking. And mortgage rates were fixed, mortgage rates were in the 26 to 3.6 range. And in May of 2023, the rate was 3% and mortgage rates were in the 4 to 5%. And then present day, the bond yield is, I guess, closer to 4%, high threes to the 4%, and you're seeing mortgage rates in what, the five to six range, give or take? Yeah. So basically, I mean, you just look at the the five-year bond yield and essentially add between one and a half to two and a half percent on top of that, and then you get your five-year fixed rate. Yeah. So what cha- what causes the change that we've seen happen in, in bond yield? So the the government sets the initial interest rate on a bond to incentivize the purchase of bonds. And, and this is one of the ways that they can take money in and out of the economy, like to try and so, you know, if they want to make saving more compelling or basically compel people to, to save rather than spend, which is inflationary, to try and reduce inflation, get uh, money supplied down, then it's one of those tools that central banks or governments can use. But then when discussing bond yields, the market ultimately determines the yield because of because the market sets the price, right? So the government pays X rate on, I think they come in $1,000 denom- denominations, but the, the market decides what the willingness to pay is for that. And it's influenced by several factors. And this is kind of where you almost see people like pricing government behavior. So these are because they're like domestic and international and, and almost like political factors, right? Everyone's just betting on everything and trying to price things in. It's fascinating. Yeah, I mean, and, like the whole the whole thing is just a casino, right? It really is, right? So anyways, Dan, you had mentioned that the market determines the yield and, and what are those factors? Well, those factors include inflation expectations, monetary policy decisions, economic, other economic indicators that affect bond yields, causing them to change in response. It's essentially cause and effect. So inflation is the most significant influencer of bond yields. Bond yields tend to increase when inflation expectations rise above that golden number of the 2% target of inflation, and they fall if inflation is expected to be below that target. So with the inflation roller coaster that we've been on over the last few years, it's no secret why bond yields have been fluctuating the way they have and been getting the attention that they have. Yeah, bond yields usually follow the direction of interest rates with mon- when monetary policy is implemented. So bond traders, they trade them much like stockbrokers trade stocks and they anticipate when things are going to go up or down and they try and avoid 
potential risk associated with those movements, where stock brokers buy and sell stocks in anticipation of a company's positive or negative announcement, bond traders do the same thing to try and anticipate government movements in, you know, government bonds and Bank of Canada rate announcements. Yeah, exactly. Again, going back to, you know, the whole thing is a bit of a casino. They bet on if rates are forecasted to go up or down. So, for example, if inflation news is unexpectedly bad, bond traders will bid up bond yields because they anticipate a rate hike by the central bank. But if inflation comes in lower than expected, then bond traders will bid down bond yields in anticipation of a prime rate cut. So fixed mortgage rates are therefore indirectly influenced by the central bank's policy rate as yields tend to go higher or lower. So, you know, we saw this in in Q1 of this year where, you know, Tiff Mackham was talking about or he he had paused and he was, you know, talking in such a way that it might have been over or whatever it was and people started getting fired up and the bond market did also you saw it kind of drop and that's where we started getting fixed rates really getting low and that's why the the spring market was a lot stronger than the current fall market because you know the bond yields were, were really low in the, in Q1 and they're much higher now in Q3 Q4 when the central bank raises interest rates bond yields typically increase when the interest rate is lower bond yields may also decrease to reflect the lower cost of borrowing and things like GDP growth, employment data, and other economic indicators can also impact those bond yields. Since Canada is obviously a very close trading partner with the United States, the Canadian bond yields are closely linked to any changes we see in the U.S. bond market. You know, just about everything we do up in Canada is linked to the United States. Look at how the Bank of Canada has followed the Fed's movement so closely over the last few years. Yeah. So I guess, I mean, I feel like that was pretty exhaustive look at what's going on with bond yields. And I hope that it makes it clear to people why. I mean, it's funny because like, you know, as real uh, people in, in real estate realtors, like I'm literally a realtor, right? So it feels weird to be like talking about this stuff. Y- you know what I mean? Like when I post a TikTok on it and you're like maybe trying to be a smarty pants or something like that, or like, you know, trying to be like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like a finance guy or whatever. Like, I feel like a lot of people think that that's like what, but it, it, this stuff actually matters and it probably matters more to, I mean, if you think about like the financial assets of most Canadians, it's not like most of them are investing in a ton of like other stuff, businesses, bonds, you know, whatever it is. They Most of their wealth is in their house. And so- it matters a lot to them what the interest rate is going to be when their term is up, probably, right? Yeah, uh, Dan, that's exactly it. I mean, the goal of episodes like this are to give everyone exposure to these kinds of topics because they're being spoken about a lot in the media right now. And and to be honest, they're probably not understood by, by most. And that's not something to feel bad about. I personally didn't understand the roles that bonds played in the market until recently. I was a lot more focused on the fundamentals of real estate investing, right? I'm, I'm a mortgage agent. I'm a real estate investor. My, my goal as a real estate investor was, a, was easy. It was simple. It was find a good deal, add value and put tenants in and collect cash flow. But in today's market, it's so vital to have an understanding of economics. You know, it gives you a bigger and better picture and a better idea of where things are going and why some of your major assets are being so affected. So, you know, knowledge is power and, and using that knowledge, that's where, that's where things get really powerful. Before we wrap up, by the way, I'm pretty sure you can find, uh, all the James Bond movies on Amazon Prime. Dude, we talked about that. They are not related. Well, Different Bond. I know, but, but okay, kind of. Anyways, what's your favorite Bond car? I told you, 2000 GT, the okay. Toyota. Yeah, that's pretty good. So 
before we wrap up, uh, real estate meetups, November 14th. I guess this episode is coming out on the 14th, I think. So hopefully we'll see you there. We got them in 12 cities across Canada, 1,200 people on the meetup group now. Link in, in the show notes. The course is dropping this week, I think tomorrow. I don't know. We'll see how we are on for schedule. We're recording this early, but we will be opening a new registration for the course and we're very excited we'll we'll do a full kind of like segment of an episode on it and just discussing what it's all about and uh we got merch christmas sweaters check it out realestatemerch.ca so thanks a lot we love you leave us a review share us tell all your friends and uh, we'll see you next time the canadian real estate investor podcast is for entertainment purposes only and it is not financial advice Nick Hill is a mortgage agent with Premier Mortgage Center and a partner in the G&H Mortgage Group. License number 10317, agent license M21004037. Daniel Foch is a real estate broker licensed with Rare Real Estate, a member of the Canadian Real Estate Association, the Toronto Real Estate Board, and the Ontario Real Estate Association.